It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. It's the Potpourri Edition. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor. It's, as always, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. And on this edition of the Podcast Weekly, joined by my man Rick Boring as we hit on a lot of local topics from Reds to Bengals to college basketball to whatever else is going on and making news to a handful of national topics. And we'll see what we end with. It's usually something bizarre, but uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's real, and sometimes it, it involves some lively discussion, and many times it involves ghosts. I will start the show with this, Rick. Last night, I swear as God is my witness, I was home alone. I had the two dogs. Everybody in the family's gone to Florida. I heard noises. I heard noises I haven't heard in a long time. Okay, well, one, you're old and crazy, so there those, that. those are probably just you hearing I'd things. had a handful of Heinekens, too. But also, you keep tempting the ghost. I know. You run your mouth a lot on I, this podcast. I, I, it bothers me. It bothers the ghost. I've toned it back a little bit because of that exact reason. That being said, I think this could be a little more straightforward of an episode. We're kind of in a to cover. weird part of the year right now. We don't have our college basketball lines or any other lines to talk about. So Because it's a very fluid right. college basketball tournament situation. No betting lines in the middle of this podcast, but we have plenty of topics to get to. We'll start with local ones. And Skinny, there was no bigger news locally than the Bengals. They made waves for the wrong reasons earlier in the week when they announced they had re-signed right tackle Bobby Hart. The Bengals signed Hart last February after he was cut by the Giants, and he ended up starting all 16 games for them at right tackle last season. Pro Football Focus ranked Hart 75th out of 80 tackles. My question for you is there any way to defend or explain this move by the Bengals? Because they are just getting universally crushed for it. Yeah, and I, and I explained it, and I, I actually got some decent feedback from people on Twitter that kind of calmed down a little bit. One, the initial report was three years, 21 mil. Turns out it's three years, 16 and a half mil. And if you cut through all of the, 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 the meat of it, um, his base salary for this year is 900 grand. Basically, they're on the hook for roughly $6.5 million of Bobby Hart. They can get out from underneath it for one year after one year, and it will cost them $6.5 million. And I know people will say that's $6.5 million that's ill-spent, all those things. I fully understand if that's your belief. And there's hard to defend Bobby Hart. Um, not only ranked 75th out of 80 tackles, but committed 11 penalties, including nine false starts. Gave up 10 quarterback sacks, which factored into that rating. So he was not good. He was not awful, but he was not good. I, I, I will give you that part of it. But as we sit here today, and then the day they signed him, the Bengals have two tackles on their roster, Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart. I do think they go into the draft in the first and second round and get a tackle. And hopefully that tackle can come in and start at one of those spots. If he starts at left tackle, you flip Cordy Glenn to right tackle. Bobby Hart then becomes a backup. And you can argue it's an expensive backup. I'll, I maybe can give you that. But it's also an insurance policy if that tackle you draft doesn't pan out. Said a boy he was drafting the first round. Didn't pan out. Jake Fisher was drafting the second round. Didn't pan out. Cordy Glenn doesn't play 16 games in a season either, so you're going to need somebody to fill in for him. And so what Bobby Hart is, he's basically a one-year insurance policy. If he plays well, then you got him at actually at a pretty decent price. If he doesn't, you can get out from under it this year, having spent $6.5 million towards the salary cap. Again, I, I can't defend if you think that that's money ill-spent, but in a day and age when tackles are hard to find, he did start all 16 games for a team that started 4-1. and one. He was part of that um, and that that I, I get why they did it. I get I, I get the outrage when you initially see three years, twenty one mil. It's like wait, that's insane money for what they ended up signing them for. Maybe a little steep, but really not that bad. Yeah, I think people get caught up in the money, and they always start worrying about how millionaires and billionaires are spending money for a NFL organization. I've never understood that by fans. Like, what do you care? 
how much the team spends on a guy. They want something new, though. That's what they want. Well, they want a different name. That's they a different, saw Bobby Hart. That's a, a different, different story. Right. Like in baseball, you can really handicap your franchise with some bad contracts. No doubt. Right? In football, it's a different ball game. I mean, you can to a certain extent. You don't want to have a bunch of bad contracts, but this isn't one that's going to kill you long term. If people don't know, the difference between baseball contracts and, and football contracts. Baseball contracts, if you sign a five-year $60 million, guess what that team's on the hook for? $60, $60 million. million. You see an NFL contract like Bobby Hart's, whether you want to use the 21 mil or the 16 and a half mil, whatever it is, that's the maximum amount of money he can possibly make if he stays on the roster all three years. The only guaranteed money in this was he's got $3 million in signing bonus money, and he's got $2.5 million of roster bonus money. He's guaranteed $5.5 million, basically. His base salary is 900 this year, 1.5 next year, 3.8 the third year, so they backloaded the contract. In the NFL, your base salaries are not guaranteed. You have to be on the team and play to earn that salary. So that's where, when you see the initial number, fans, I understand it. It make, would make my head spin if you dive into the contract. I, I can't make the argument that I think Bobby Hart's a great player. Bobby Hart is a serviceable player on a team that I think is going to draft a tackle that hopefully replaces Bobby Hart and replaces him maybe in week one. That That's the hope because you got to have people to play. You just can't say, well, he sucks. Get rid of him. Okay, who's next? Yeah, that's a fair point. When that, and, and granted, like you know, you mentioned it, it's hard to find tackles. Well, there's what thirty two teams. Mm-hmm. Two of them play at a time. He was ranked seventy fifth. I get. It. I mean, I get. It. There's got to be someone out there, I right? That it. you can play that's better than Bobby Hart. But that being said, the money people get worked up about that that doesn't bother me. I think the issue I have and the issue some other fans have is that the Bengals seem to have a plan in place where they go in and they set a a value to someone. They say they are worth this money per year or for this amount of years. And if you come in and you're willing to accept under that number, they will take it no matter what. No questions asked because it's their value. Bingo. And that is the issue I have with it because it takes out the evaluation of this guy sucks. Right. He's just no good. You don't want him. They're just like, well, he's a value, so I keep him around. That's my issue with it. Quit looking for guys who's only a value that you assign to him, a number. It's like, I want them to be analytical. I want them to look at stats and metrics. But like when it comes to re-signing free agents, I don't want them doing it with their dollar amounts. I want them doing it with the stats and what they did on the field and, and dictating it from there. Not saying, well, this guy is worth... Seven million a year, and if we can get him for less than that, and I we'll think, do it. I think they think they got him for less than what they valued. Him. Oh, I guarantee you, they did. And I know, and I, I don't even this. know that they're I, wrong about that. When I was told about ten days ago, before free agency started, that they were considering re-signing Bobby Hart, I said to some of the organizations, "Seriously?" And they said, "He played better than you think." That was the response. He played better than you think. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, I'm not did, sure what that means. Jim, Jim Turner came in, watched the film, and thought, if I bully, guy. If I bully this guy That's a right. little bit, it'll right. be a lot better. If I throw some slurs at him, he's going to be great. Yeah. No, I, I I, get it. But the only thing I would tell people is when you look at the raw money, it's it's not an awful deal for a one-year deal. And yeah, you can say, well, what about the other? If he plays well, then he's going to earn that other money. I, I don't know he's going to play well, mind you. I believe that, that it's not a lot of money for it. Because, again, I don't know enough about NFL contracts. I'm not assigning values to these guys to where, like, I would have a better feel than the Bengals front office. People are doing this for a living. I trust that they know how much he's worth. My issue is that they look at something, sure. a guy who stinks, and everyone in the organization knows that guy was terrible last year. Every fan is like, I don't want to see that guy again. You're trying to move in a new direction, trying to create some excitement, trying to be interesting, and then you do the exact thing that you know is going to drive everyone nuts simply because, well, he's going to sign for a little less than what we valued him at. That That's 
stupid to me. Well, and then you use the new slogan, the new day, right? It, yes. And, and unfortunately, when you use a slogan like that, you get fans jacked up thinking, hey, things are they're going to be different. And they're not. They're not. I mean, we're going to talk more free agency here, I know. Um, and, and that's what it feels like is you're re-signing your own. So what is new about this day? But that stuff matters. The PR yes. stuff of this matters no, when no, you're I in the agree, position. I agree with that. You're not the Patriots where you just get to say, well, we're going to do what we want to do because it's our way and we don't react to fans or anything else. You made this whole decision to go in this new direction because you're reacting to, to fans. To use the slogan, new day. Right. You were clearly going for that. So this is a total PR fail for a guy who's not going to make your football team any good. That's the issue I have with. All right, that, that's fair. Like I said, I know we're going to talk some more free agency. The the thing I think when when you start seeing them resign their own, and I'm not telling you this is right. This is just what they believe. They believe they are more they 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 are closer to that four and one team that started last year than the team that finished two and nine down the stretch. That injuries wiped all of that out, and that's why you see them start to resign their own guys, thinking, hey. Let's bring the band back because the band wasn't bad when the band was healthy, and we got another draft to add to that. We don't think we're far off. You can. I'm not going to debate that that topic with you because you don't know if they're right, and right. I don't know if they're right because I don't know the four and one start. I can make a case was a little bit of of luck involved, or maybe a lot of bit of luck involved. And there's no question the two and nine finish was based a lot on injuries, not solely on injuries, but quite a bit on injuries. I mean, you lost a bunch of guys, including your starting quarterback. So. I, I, I really think they believe. I don't even think they believe they are closer to that four and one team, and with another draft, that that team is a contender for a playoff spot. I don't think that's ridiculous. However, I don't think there's any reasonable person who looked at last year's roster, looked at what happened last year, and thought, "Oh, Bobby Hart's one of the guys who has us close to that four and one." Understood. Start. Understood. He was an it. issue, not part of the solution. But I would tell you, if they draft a tackle, let's just go to that scenario. They draft a tackle in the first and second round. He starts from day one, and Bobby Hart's a backup. We okay? Unless Bobby Hart gets in the game and has to play. Well, he may have to, but that's what backups do. I mean, sometimes you got to play the guy. Yeah. Well, why don't we find like the sixty-fifth best? Maybe he's already signed by somebody. Instead of the, Maybe that's uh, the issue. 80th. All right. 75th. Don't go, don't go to extremes, mister. I'm sorry. The Bengals agreed to a new three-year deal with C.J. Uzama worth more than $18 million skinny. The 26-year-old Uzama caught 43 passes for 439 yards and three touchdowns last year, while Tyler Eifert and Tyler Croft ended the year on injured reserve. Of course, Tyler Eifert is also a free agent. Skinny, do you think re-signing Uzama was the right move? And what does this say about Tyler Eifert's future? I do think it was the right move. Um, believe it or not, Tyler Croft actually got about five hundred thousand dollars more. I think he got eighteen and a half over three years. Again, you got to look at these deals differently. But right. if we just want to use the raw numbers, he got eighteen and a half over three years from the Bills. From the Bills, the Bengals got Uzama for slightly less right. over three years to re-sign, and and, and Uzama. And I think surpassed Tyler Croft. Some of it because Tyler Croft was her. I thought Tyler Croft in 2017 in place of injured Tyler Eifert really was pretty good. But he's had a history of injuries. And Uzama um, really fought through a shoulder issue last year and played. So, yeah, I think the signing of him was fine. And I do think there is money left over to re-sign Darquez Denard at probably nine mil a year, maybe a little bit more or whatever you're going to do with that money. And I do think there's money for Tyler Eifert to sign another one year uh, very heavily incentive laden deal with the Bengals. He could do it elsewhere. I, I think for him though, the the comfort level would be with Andy Dalton um, with the city. 
with the fact that I think they've been more than fair with him. I think they gave him a fair deal last year. He didn't reach the incentives because he got hurt. So I, I, I think it doesn't change anything about Tyler Eifert. I think whatever deal that they were thinking of doing incentive-wise would still be on the table. It's just a matter of if another team says, hey, we'll, we'll give you a little more than that. And look, if another team is willing to do that on an injured guy and, and the Bengals say, hey, it's out of our price, I'm okay with that too. I did think all along they were going to draft the tight end in the first three rounds, and I think that still stands. But I think, I mean, you, again, you got to have somebody. And right now, C.J. Uzama is is technically he's not your only tight end because you got a couple other lesser guys, but he's your main tight end on the roster. I think it was the right signing. Yeah, I think coming into this this offseason, the situation you had with these three tight ends and total uncertainty of who would be back next year, it's kind of working out almost in an ideal way for the Bengals because, like you said, I think out of Uzama and Croft, I'd rather have Uzama personally. Yeah. I think Croft is maybe a more sure pass catcher. Like he he just, but, he's, he's, but his history of injuries is a trouble. It, well, that, but also I think Uzama has more upside. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, the better talent. He might not be quite as steady as a pass catcher, right. but he has more upside as an athlete and, and the body. Um, and, and then with Eifert, I think you're exactly right. The plan with Eifert should be they needed to get someone else because there's no guarantee that he can come back, that he will come back, whatever. But at the same time, if he wants to sign for a reasonable deal and feels comfortable enough with what he's done so far with the Bengals and thinks, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to try to start over with a fresh start, like that'll help him in any way, then I think it'd be great for the Bengals to get Tyler Eifert back. I mean, he's he's a proven playmaker when he's healthy. Yeah, and I would bet the incentive package, it would start very small from a base standpoint. The incentive package would, would surpass Uzama's salary of course. if he reaches that because he would be the starting tight end in all likelihood. But the issue is, I mean, the, the track record is what it is. It's hard to say if you re-sign him, could you guarantee me you're getting 16 games from Tyler Eifert? No, no so I, I, think it's a, I think it's a win-win for both because then he can, again, he's back at that stage of I got to prove myself to the rest of the league that I can stay healthy for a full year in order to get my next big contract. Right, and I I don't know that anyone else in the NFL that hasn't worked with them and hasn't seen him fight back from those injuries is going to be willing to offer him a better deal than the Bengals. Yeah, I would. can't. I, I would agree with that. So I think this is working out pretty well in terms of the tight end situation, which brings us uh, to the other side of the ball, Skinny. The Bengals have re-signed middle linebacker Preston Brown. Brown uh, signed with the Bengals during the 2018 offseason after spending the first four years of his career in Buffalo. He never missed a game with the Bills, but he only played seven games last year with the Bengals because of injuries. What do you make of the Preston Brown deal? He was a bit of a disappointment last year, but they certainly needed linebackers. Yeah, he, he got hurt the first game against Indy, tried to play through it, wasn't very good, then got hurt again, tried to play through it, wasn't very good, and finally shut it down after seven games. So it's hard to to completely evaluate what Preston Brown did. Uh, the, the contract's three years, 21 mil. I don't know where their outs are. That's the one contract I haven't gotten my, my head around and, and tried to figure out where their out could be and how much this is officially for. The only thing is, the Preston Browns of this world just aren't the linebacker of this league anymore. You don't need that run-stopping middle linebacker. You just you just don't. Um, yeah, Preston, I know, had an interception in the first game last year, and, and he's not he's not awful, awful in coverage. He's not great, but he's not the prototypical linebacker of today because a lot of times anymore, you're not even playing with three linebackers. You're playing with two for the most part. You're nickel 95% of the time. Right. This was one that... This puzzles me a little bit because I do think they're going linebacker. You know, again, I feel like I'm doing everything in the first three rounds, but you can address linebacker, tight end, and, and offensive tackle in the first three rounds of the draft and maybe get a starter across the board. I do think they attack linebacker in the draft. I just can't see them in week one trotting out 52, which is Preston Brown, 59, Nick Vigil, and 55, Vontez Burr. I can't see that. And I can't. I, that's the one area that even going into last year you didn't feel great about. And as the year went on, you felt worse and worse about it, even when some of those guys played. 
But what else is the plan right now? I, to me, I, I, outside of drafting a guy and yeah, hoping he's I, a star I, I, right away. I think away. that is the plan. I think that if you want to, to to look at a spot where perhaps they could have attacked free agency better or more efficiently um, and spent their dollars more efficiently, it probably was the linebacker position to add a guy that, that can be a, a, a nickelish type guy. Again, their evaluation apparently is they think Preston Brown is a good player that unfortunately last year injuries got him. And you mentioned it, had never missed a game, played 64 games in Buffalo with 62 starts in his first four years. That screams durability, right? And yeah. all of a sudden here in Cincinnati, bad luck hits. And he only plays, plays seven games. so it, And he got hurt in the first game. So when you saw his performance slide, I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass because the guy, to his credit, he was. He was playing hurt, and it, it, it showed at times. So... I, I need to see where the out. If, the out, if this is, again, an insurance policy, that look, we're going to draft, let's say, Devin White. And we hope Devin White from day one steps in and, bam, he's a starter. But if he's not quite ready, somebody's got to play. And I don't want it to be Hardy Nickerson. And I'm not sure I want it to be Jordan Evans. Right. I'll let it be Preston Brown. Yeah, Preston Brown isn't a guy who he doesn't wow you with his physical ability, right? Like, he's not a super explosive guy. He's, he's never been super big. quick. He's just solid. He's right. steady. That was always kind of his thing, even when he was in high school, I remember. Um, so him playing through an injury, I could see where that's holding a guy like him back. I mean, he's just a little bit slower, a little less explosive, right. whatever. That's going to take something away from him because he's already not the best in terms Correct. of things. So, so yeah, he's so limited I'm, even more, right? I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he can do when healthy. He's also said he wants to lose 15 pounds and play a that lot lighter from last year, which I think is smart. I think he needs to do that. Although, you start worrying a little bit because what he brings to the table is kind of a power run stuffing mentality. You take that away, all of a sudden he's not that hard hitter. You worry about it a little bit. But I do think he needs to be better in coverage, so hopefully losing weight helps him. In theory, they could do what they did with Ray Malaluga, which was, they they, well, part of it was he let himself get big yeah. um, through his off-the-field exploits. But they, they basically used him in a one-down role, which was, you're going to play first down, we're going to hopefully stop the run, we'll get to second and nine, we'll get you off the field, we'll go to our sub-package, and you become a specialty player. Maybe that's what Preston Brown is. That's an expensive specialty player, I would think. But if they want to do that, that's fine. That's where, yeah, you're in that fine line. I get why he wants to lose the weight, right? Because that, that linebacker of today needs to be about 240 pounds, 245 pounds at, at most. But then do you also take away his ability to get in a hole and stuff the run as opposed to getting run over? And suddenly he has no value whatsoever. Right. That's the only, sometimes you worry about guys like that when they go away from their strength too much. But at the end of the day, again, I'm willing to give him another chance. I'm not out on Preston Brown. My bigger concern here is the fact that the other two guys right now that you're looking at starting him with are Nick Vigil yeah. and Vontez Perfect, and and neither Vontez Perfect looked like he was totally done last year, like needed to be out of the league completely. I think this. I think Vontez Perfect comes to camp if he's not ready to go and he doesn't look good and he looks sluggish. I can't imagine they keep him. I just can't. I can't either. I'm almost surprised he's even, he would even be coming back. I, I am too. Other than there's just really no out for him, yeah, I am so too. it's kind of like whatever. The Nick Vigil is interesting because because when he got back from the injury, he had a couple of really he's okay. good games. Yeah, he, I think yeah, he's, he's okay. Okay is a good word. He's a guy. Yeah, like I think he's a starter for most NFL teams, but I don't. He, I think he's your third guy on most yes. NFL teams. He's not your yes. best. No, agree. And unfortunately, going in this year, he might be the Bengals' best linebacker, and that's unless you draft Devin White. Yeah, well, and again, I, I just. I know guys sometimes come in and make an impact, especially on the defense side of the ball as a rookie. But relying on that, especially if you're a team that's that you why here's your insurance contend, policy. This that's is your heart. Yeah, but I guess I guess my only thing is I would have liked to see them, and, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they looked at every option. But it would have been nice to see them go use some of the money. And and again, I don't think they signed Preston Brown for too much money necessarily. But 
That is the pool of money up. you had assigned right. to linebacker. It, it all adds up. And I think you needed to make a splash at linebacker. Now, it doesn't really look like you're going to be able to do that in free agency, so it is going to have to happen through the draft. That doesn't feel great. Yeah, and Duke Tobin up at the Combine, I thought it was interesting because it was it, he wasn't forced to answer the question this way. I think the question was about Vontez and about the linebackers. He said, we think we have three or four young guys that can play. Wow. I'm guessing he's lumping Jordan Evans into that, which he struggled in, in you know when he's gotten more snaps. I think he's lumping Malik Jefferson into that, and Malik Jefferson couldn't get on the field last year. And it wasn't because Marvin Lewis hated him. Trust me when I tell you, Malik Jefferson really struggled. I mean, really struggled in training camp. And once the season hits... It's hard to catch up ground. So um, that said, I mean, if you look at what, what Indy did last year, they went Quentin Nelson in the first round. They went the Leonard kid early, the, the became the defensive rookie of the year in, in, in the AFC. I mean, they had two impact rookies that made them into a playoff team, right? So I, I'm just asking for two guys. I know it's a big ask, and it's it, it, but that's where they're going to have to go. You're going to have to have an impact tackle, and you're going to have to have an impact linebacker. Hopefully they, do, they get it right. Skinny, one guy that hasn't re-signed with the Bengals is Darquez Denard. The Bengals have stood by their view of him as a versatile slot specialist and have previously been willing to offer him multiple years at what he made in 2018 on his fifth-year option of $8.5 million. Denard and his agent appear to want starting cornerback money. So do you think the Bengals need to find a way to bring Denard back, or is this one where they may just have to let him walk? No, I think they do want to bring him back, but I but he wants to see what kind of money's out there. He wants to see, can I get outside corner starting money? which would be upwards of $10 million. I think the Bengals still have enough to probably match around 10 mil. Question is, will they? I I think if it comes back to it, the the kid from Seattle, Coleman, who signed with Detroit as a slot corner, got four years and 36 mil, average of nine a year. I, I think that's where it probably gets settled and he comes back. I mean, if he tests the market and somebody's willing to pay him 10, 12 mil to be an outside corner. Good for him. Good for him. You got to let him go. Correct. At that stage of the game, you 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 know you got just not. Good the other thing too is when people see the the cap money, I get it. You see a raw number, but there's a lot of other factors involved to it. Um, there's there's usually eleven million dollars in costs that you just don't know about. There's draft costs, and then let's face facts here too. After 2019, you know who's a free agent? Tyler Boyd's a free agent. AJ Green's a free agent. A lot. William Jackson the third. You could use a fifth year option on him, but it's going to cost you. Yep. Or he's a free agent. You got three dudes. You got to make some decisions on, and you better have some money left to do that. So, with Denard, I do think they want. It. I, I don't. I know they want him back, but yeah. they want him back at their price, and I think their price will be fair. They did offer him the fifth year option of eight and a half mil. He said, "No, I want to see if I can go get outside corner money." We're now on day two of free agency, and usually big splash guys would have gotten their money by now. So I'm going to guess Darquez is going to test that market. He's not going to get what he thinks, and I think he ends up coming back to the Bengals. Could be wrong, but I think that's what happens. My gut says that's right, and I think you're right. Right right around that nine, maybe they go a little maybe above a little that more, right. uh, to, to keep him. But if, if he gets more... I think you got to let him walk. Just I just more don't power think, to him. Yeah, I just don't think he's good enough to really start spending a bunch of money for him, even though they really need an extra no quarterback. Doubt. Back with the drop roster, off, especially when you have such a whole linebacker that you have to address with the draft. Yeah, the drop off from him to the fourth corner on this roster is huge, yeah. huge. So I do look; they want him back, but they're not going to break the bank to do it in that case. And I don't blame them, and I don't blame him. Hopefully, it works out to where he figures out, and teams go, "Sorry, buddy, we're not giving you that kind of money." He realizes I'm going to make similar money in Cincinnati. I'll just go back to Cincinnati. Is there anything else that has stood out to you about this uh, deadline and the free agency period here in the NFL and the Bengals? No, because I, I, I understand. Look, you can't trot out the phrase "new day" and do nothing other than feel like maybe feel like Groundhog Day. You just can't, right? Whether that's right or wrong, you just you can't do it. But like I said earlier, 
they believe they're closer to that 4-1 and one team. And that 4-1 and one team got derailed by injuries. So guess what? We're going to bring back the guys that helped us get to 4-1. and one. We're going to add in the draft. And we're going to be just fine. I'm not telling you that's right. I'm, I'm not. But that's what they believe. And that's where we are. I just go back to them. If you're going to try out phrases like New Day, you should do something new and different. Because that's what you're telling us. Should they have just gone with the phrase, mostly the same but slightly upgraded day? <laughs> it's too long. It's too long. Is there an acronym you can do for that? If you can come up with some kind of clever acronym, I'll give it to you. I don't, I'll work on it. You Workshop work on that. And yeah, that. Okay, I'll, right. I'll come back right. to it maybe at the end of the show. Skinny, let's uh, switch gears here. College basketball. Jaron Cumberland won the AAC Player of the Year Award on Wednesday. It marks the second straight year a UC player has won the award after Gary Clark was named the AAC Player of the Year last season. So here's the question. Would you rather have junior year Jaron Cumberland or senior year Gary Clark for one season to build your college basketball team around? Right, so I get, and, and keep in mind, this is to build your team around. So you're starting with a fresh palette. It's not their teams. Right, but I get, I get Gary Clark for one year. And Jaron for two? No, 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 no. You get him for a year. You get each one for one year, so it's not like you you get the upside of having Jaron for two. And by the way, I think you would agree Jaron Cumberland was clearly the AAC player of the year. I thought there was a really good argument for the uh, the kid from Houston. Yeah, I, I, I get that because they won the league and all that. Yeah, Corey Davis But was he had really more good. dudes around him. He did. Jaron uh, had no dudes around him. I agree. And Jaron was the winner. Jaron should have been the winner. Although I will say, when you saw him play head to head in that last yeah. game, it was hard to get that vision of my mind of Corey Davis dominating that game at both ends. I know offense and defense, where Jaron isn't a very good defender. Although he's gotten a lot better, he's still not very good. Um, and Jaron just kind of quitting down the stretch of that one. It made me think it was closer, but I think Jaron was still the right call, especially yeah. over the whole body yeah. of work. All right. So that said, well, I do believe he's deserving of it because I thought he carried that team a long, long, long way and kind of ran out of gas carrying that team. And I think that's what you saw the culmination of Sunday. He just he ran out of gas and ran out of interest. And you can't you, I, I know you can tell me that's probably wrong that he did that. But I get it, man. You've, you're spent. You've done anything you can do, and suddenly it's going haywire, and I'm just I'm tired. I get it. Um, so, yeah, I think he deserved it. But if I'm going to build my team, I'm building around Gary Clark just because of all the things he brings to you from toughness to rebounding to defense to rim protection to the ability to pass, the ability to score. I think he had a skill set that wasn't maybe even utilized completely the right way. Um, and I don't say that completely critically. I get why they use him the way they did because they had other dudes that could do some things around him. I'm, I'm building around Gary Clark. You're probably right, and it's it's for the reasons that he can do so much. He can rebound. He can really defend. Um, Doesn't is it ball dominant? And Jaron can be ball dominant, right? And sometimes it needs to be. But if I am starting a team from scratch, I mean, I don't necessarily know what type of talent I get to go with it. I'll say this: How different was UC's season last year compared to this year? I mean, it was better last year, but they had a lot more talent last year, and their overall result in terms of what they did during the regular season, not a whole lot different than what they did this year. And the reason for well, that— Well, but, but let's the, you're right in terms of wins and losses, although last year's team did have more wins and less losses, but not by a ton. But there were a lot of more close games that UC won this year, whereas last year they— they own some teams. Yeah, but their conference was better this year, too. Okay. And I think that yeah. was a big All part right. of it. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I'll i be honest. I think I would go with Jaron Cumberland sim- really? simply because he's proven with a team that I don't think is very good around him that he can carry them. I mean, his, he sco- did. his scoring ability is something that, like, Gary Clark, I think if you put him on a bad team, 
They're still a pretty bad team. Gary Clark, you put him on a good team, he makes it a great team because he he elevates everybody else. But he needs other dudes that can go get theirs around him. Jaron Cumberland has proven I'm going to find two it. shooters around Gary Clark, and I'm going to find me a downhill point guard, and whatever else you give me, I'm good. Well, that's nice, but Mick Cronin wasn't able to do that. Oh, I'm just You're asking me who I'd build a team around. You're I, asking me. I understand that, but my point is... Jaron Cumberland, regardless of who you have to go with him, has proven he can carry you. I think you can have a bad team, and Jaron Cumberland can still win you games because he can go and get his. Yeah, Gary, I don't think this team's bad. I think it's okay around him. Last year's team, I think, was pretty good that Gary Clark had around him, and and he didn't have to do as much. So that may be a little bit unfair to compare him in that way, but I I do think. I think I'd go with Jaron, believe it or not. Okay. I'm going Gary Clark. We're going to build around Gary. Give me two shooters and a point guard, and I'm going to win some games. Fair enough. They they better be able to go get theirs, because he is unselfish. That's the only thing about him. Yes, he is. Skinny, the Northern Kentucky University Norse are headed to the NCAA tournament with the Horizon League's automatic bid after cruising past Wright State 77-66 in a game that wasn't even nearly that close. It felt like it was about a 100-point win, if you ask me. I mean, it was comfortable from the get-go. In Tuesday night's Horizon League championship, Drew McDonald was named tournament MVP just days after being named the Horizon League Player of the Year. The Norse will make their second NCAA tournament appearance at the Division One level. In 2017, they were at number 15 seed when they lost in the first round 79-70 to UK. So the question is this, Skinny Drew was named MVP. He obviously hit the game winner in the semifinals against Green Bay. That was magical. But it wasn't his best overall stretch of games. Who do you think was most responsible for NKU's Horizon League championship? Man, there were so many guys that were good. Tyler Sharp made some shots. Um, Jalen Tate was really good. Dan Tez Walton, though, in that championship game, he hit some shots. What did he grab, 13 rebounds? I may, I may lean towards him. I, look, Drew deserved it to me. Yeah. I mean, the shot gets you there. And then the second half, then he had two at the half. And then the second half, <coughs> excuse me, he started to get his a yeah, little bit. Got a little it. bit of a flow. And he closed it. Right. Yeah. And, and, some, and that's just how that stuff works sometimes. Best player on the on the team that wins it. Hits a big shot to get you there. Right. You're going to give it to him. For Plus, the I think part. everyone forgets there was that first game at NKU that was part of the tournament. That, well, yeah, too, I didn't that, think about that. Yeah. The 99-88 win over, over Detroit. Right. I, you're right. I, I kind of forgot about that myself. So you're looking at the whole body. Man, I thought Dan, Dan Tez Walton that title game was really, really good. That, see, that's the thing about the title game and kind of why this question is in here because when you look at the way NKU won that the finals, I don't know who... Like, I was thinking, who was going to get the MVP after this game because so many guys played a role. Zanai Robinson yeah. stepped up in a massive way while not... He had an inconsistent role all season. Like, he played a big role at the beginning of the year. Then, then late in away. conference season, yep. he wasn't playing much, but he, he played some crucial minutes, and he was kind of splitting time as, like, the offensive guy to Paul Joko's defensive guy. Like, they were sort of sharing backup minutes at the point. And then he steps up and hits some of the biggest shots and is totally efficient in the biggest game of the year. I mean, he's going to go down as one of my favorite NKU players. You said that before the tournament started. Just, yeah, I mean, he came in for one year wanting to wanting to be, you know, wanting to shine, wanting to be the guy and he totally was selfless the entire year and played to win. And I, I, it just it couldn't have felt better to see him play the way he did in the finals. Walton is a great point because I thought towards the end of the conference slate, he, he got to be a little bit disappointing on the offensive end because he really fell in love with his jumper. And it, it comes and it goes for him. He's not a great shooter, but he was really just settling too much. And out of nowhere, starting in the semifinals, and it really carried over into the, the championship game, he started attacking off the dribble. And not only was he attacking, looking to score, but he was starting to make plays for his teammates. Bit, yeah. And it's like, hold on, we've got a point forward out here now to go with? Like Jalen Tate and Drew McDonald, who are tremendous passers, and Tyler Sharp, who's a tremendous passer. It's like, 
they already move the ball at an elite level. You get Walton creating plays for guys, they're unguardable at that point. And I think that's a big reason they won. So I think Walton is a great pick. Um, if you're asking me, though, it's Jalen Tate. Yeah, I, he's at both ends of the court. He just does so much. He's the guy that when things get bad and when things got stagnant, he's the one that you can't take away because he's too good of an athlete to do it. And he's finally, by the end of this season, we saw it in the tournament, he's finally realized that he has to be that guy for this team. And he's realized when he needs to do it. He, I mean, his his performance I thought was almost flawless in in the tournament. Yeah, I, I, like you said, I, you have no trouble giving it to Drew, right? I mean, you don't. Oh, not absolutely. And, and that's sometimes when you start to make a case. We've made a case for four or five different guys here, right? And then you finally go, all right, the guy that made the big shot, yeah. and then is their best player. The player of the year. You get yeah. it. You, you're, it's it's you by default. And that's what you fall back on. Drew, even having a, a a slow night, is probably helping the team because it probably means other teams are paying a lot of attention to him. He's drawing a lot of focus. I mean, he does so well, you, much. You and I watched the game together, and you made a good point. When you watch them play that championship That's a first. game, it was a good point. You actually made a good point. Um, the way they played in that game would make me, if I'm a three seed or a two seed, go, "Damn, they're scary." Yeah, because usually, usually that 15 seed has a guy. Maybe a second guy, but it's usually a guy, right? The guy that's kind of, he's the, it's kind of like Drew to some degree, but they don't have a lot to go around it. And they don't have, I mean, NKU doesn't have great elite length, but they got functional length at a lot of different spots mm-hmm. to where, you know, it's not like a, they're 6'7", 6'5", 6'5", 6'1", 6 feet. I mean, they, they've got functional length because usually the, the bigger schools just beat you up physically. They're just physically yeah bigger and better and all those things. This is a scary team in that regard, though, because they've got functional length. they got people that can create. They do move the ball well. And I think you saw that two years ago when they played Kentucky. I didn't think Kentucky played off. I was there. They, I didn't think Kentucky played awful that night. I thought NKU played really, really well. It was almost like, hey, this this team belongs. And I think they're going to show that again this time around in the NCAA tournament. But that team two years ago really had physical limitations and really was... But they had a really good... They had an elite level. Well, not elite, but they had a really good point guard, though. Yeah, I mean, the guy look, that, that belonged Hall. in that game. But Jalen Tate's three inches taller yeah. and probably even better of a point guard. Uh, he was really good that LeVon year. LeVon Holland stepped up in big games yeah. like it was his business. So I'm not taking anything away from that guy. I loved watching him play. But Jalen Tate... Is is a more talented player, and he—that's the other thing about Jalen Tate. He went from wing last year to starting point guard this year, and in the process became a much better player. Developed right. every aspect of his game. The job the coaching staff did in terms of player development. I mean, you look at Chris Vote, how much better he got. Um, a guy like Trayvon Faulkner, who they they needed something out of this freshman class. We didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but they, you knew they were going to need right. something. It ended up being Trayvon Faulkner's defense. A look at what he gave them and just lear- understanding the role that he needed to play and the intensity as a freshman. Uh, they just did a fantastic job with this. But, but yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with my guy Jalen Tate right. to answer the question. Right. I like it. All right, Skinny, let's take a look at some national headlines, uh, starting with the, the big news that came out the night that NKU actually won the Horizon League championship, and that was at the Cleveland Browns are getting star receiver Odell Beckham Jr. from the New York Giants. The Browns traded away a 2019 first-round draft pick, a third-round pick, and safety Jabril Peppers, according to multiple reports. The Browns have signed Kareem Hunt, defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson, and defensive end Olivier Vernon, among others, this offseason. So let me ask you this. Are the Browns Super Bowl contenders? The Browns are better. And on paper, they got dudes... Everybody takes that leap, though, when when they see moves like this and just assume it's all going to work. 
because they're dudes. O- OBJ is a dude. Lee Vernon's a dude. Sheldon Richardson's a dude. Cream Hunt, whenever he gets back on the field, is a dude. I mean, they, those are four. Those are four high caliber players. And you had a nice run at the end of last year, and you've got good parts coming back. And I think John Dorsey knows how to build a football team. But I, you've seen this before. I mean, one of the great examples that's brought up is the 2011 Eagles that somehow Vince Young deemed the dream team because they'd gone and signed a bunch of guys and made trades and on paper individually they looked great. The NFL really is such a team game and such a chemistry game. And I'm not a big chemistry guy in baseball because I don't believe any of that crap exists because it's you against him. Football, man, you all need to be on the same page. You all need to be where you can, yeah, you can have your squabbles. You can have your clicks. You can have some of that. But you got to be everybody's got to be together. How's, how's OBJ going to go the first time that, that Baker Mayfield throws the ball to Jarvis Landry three straight plays because that's where the coverage dictates? How's it going to be when he gets five targets in a game because that's how the coverage dictates? How's it going to be when Baker throws into a tight window and just maybe doesn't have his best day and sails a couple over his head? How's, that, how's he going to react to that? I, 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 I'd like to put an over-under at the first time that Baker Mayfield and OBJ have a fist fight, a literal fist fight. I think it comes at some point this season. You think it's you think see I um I kind of look at that as more of like I think guys need similar personalities when they're that way. Like when they're when you're kind of one of those crazy star um not it doesn't necessarily have to be diva, but you're just the that whacked out star. You need the exact opposite. No, see, because Peyton Manning or Eli yeah. Manning was the exact opposite, and I think and Odell Beckham just, didn't respect that. Maybe that's the issue. I think I think Baker will scream back in his face or grab him by the throat in the locker room. That's what I'm saying. They and they'll have, have it out. They'll have a fist fight. But I think that's good for it, chemistry. It might I think be. that works out well for guys it like might that. Be. Typically, I think Odell needs a guy who's more fiery than he is, and Baker's that guy. Yeah, I would say if if I'm a Browns fan, I'm ecstatic with what they did because from a football perspective, these are all. Just really good football moves, and we ain't even got to the draft yet. Right, um, and, and you already had some good pieces, and you're in a division where, look, I, I looked down in Cincinnati. There's six and ten team last year. I don't want. I don't need your excuses. Pittsburgh, huh, you lost your two best stars, and you got a 38 year old quarterback, and your defense wasn't great. Huh, good luck to you, Baltimore. I thought you did it with smoke and mirrors, and finally, maybe people figure Lamar Jackson. I, I, I'm a Browns fan, man. I'm thumping my chest going, we're the best in this division. If we're the best in this division, let's look around the rest of the conference. Are we the best in the conference? Maybe. And then if you get to that point, you do think you're Super Bowl contenders. I just, but I've seen, I mean, Tampa Bay a few years ago threw money at a bunch of guys. All right, let's get this guy, that guy, that guy, this guy, bring them all in. How'd that work out? It didn't. It's just, so sometimes all these little shiny moves, they, they don't always work out. I get why the Browns did it. I can't, as we sit today, it's impossible to crap on it. I could just see it. I could also see it blowing up. Yes, it doesn't always work out. That's absolutely correct. Um, but it's also true that you're not going to get anywhere by not making moves. So this is you'd much rather see them do this than not if you're a Browns yeah, fan. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the two I, philosophies, though, are build through the draft, re-sign your own guys, all those things. And I, I think well, that's the, that, that I, I, I do like that model, but I, see, I, I, I get this. See, I think they've done that. I think they feel like we mm. built through the draft. We've got, the, we've finally gotten ourselves to the point where we've got a functioning franchise. Yes. Now let's go get a few pieces that put us over the top and make us got a real a contender. Pieces. And I think they did that. Dude, now, they, they've also got, think about this. If Kareem Hunt is able to play, if, if the league says we're going to suspend him, whatever, three games, two games, you have a timetable for when Kareem Hunt's back. You got Duke Johnson as a third running back. You can deal him on draft. You can deal him at some point. He's really good. Yeah. I think there are a few fair ways to look at this. One of them is simply saying, they're the Browns, and I'll see it when I believe it. They're the Browns. They'll screw this up. I think that's fair at this point. There's no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt. So if you have that take... I'm okay. I'm I'm willing to listen to wait and see guy. That They're going to have to prove it first. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm wait and see guy. I think there's also... 
you it depends on how you feel about the way they finished the season. Was that the kind of typical thing you see where a team that have some young up and comers who are still feel like they're playing for a lot at the end of the year, even though their season is all, you know, really means nothing at that point. And so you win some games and we've seen the Bengals do that in the past right. and they were really bad. It's just false. Win four in a row and it was false hope. Or do you think that was a young team that really figured some things out and got better by the end of the year and, and, and really was a good football team and a different football team by week 16, 17 than they were week one, two, three. That's a great question, and the answer, I think, is yeah. I, I do believe that. I thought they were a very functional football team by the end of the year that you looked up and went, this ain't smoke and mirrors, and by this time, this kid ain't lucky. This kid, See, I think the Lamar Jackson thing, everybody got over their skis about, Agreed. give me that gimmick over a full season, let's see. Baker Mayfield is a guy, man. He can That cat can play. And I'm not saying Lamar Jackson won't be good. I'm not ready to call not, that I'm one either, either way, but, but I, just, I agree with yeah. you that it's a totally different situation yeah. from what Baker Mayfield did. Yeah. Baker Mayfield... I'd be elevated out, that whole team outside of Pat Mahomes. I'd be as excited about having Baker Mayfield as any young quarterback in the league right and now. And now you gave him one of the ultimate weapons to go along with it, oh, with some other weapons. I mean, he had yeah. a great running game to begin with right. last year, and they really figured out how to play off that. You had you give him another guy to go with Jarvis Landry. You really have some weapons. I think this is what I will say: if it wasn't if the AFC North hadn't just crumbled around the Browns, which makes it genius for them to make this yes. move this year because this is They're a great in. opportunity. Absolutely. Um, the, I don't like the Ravens this year. No. The, the Steelers are a total mess. Yeah, I have no idea what to expect out of them. And the Bengals are just like, who knows? You know, they're just kind of standing pat. Who knows? I don't think there's any way to argue that they're the best or even probably no. second best in the league they're, or the conference. They're probably third or fourth. So now, or a division, I should yeah. say. So now you're looking around. You're right. If you're the best team in the conference... Then you've got a shot, and I think it's fair to say they should be expected to win the or the division going into this yes. year. Yes, on paper, absolutely. Speaking of this story, though, did, did you hear about the, the the? I guess it was a kid, a teenager in Cleveland. I saw this this morning. Was running down the street like waving his arms wildly, and a woman was with her young child, and she saw that, and she saw, thought the kid was in distress. She couldn't understand why he was running and yelling. This is true. Yeah, she called the cops. She right? called the cops. Called nine one one. Cops showed up, and they they got the kid. Says everything all right. He said. Everything all right? Browns just got OBJ. So they went back to her and said, hey, everything's okay. Are you a Browns fan? She says, no, not really. He said, well, they got a big win. She says, oh, who'd they beat today? <laughs> Obviously not playing. They said, sign Odell Beckham Jr. She laughed it off. But I thought that, that, that that's a pretty funny story. Yeah, that, that's pretty That'll solid. tell you the excitement level, though. Had she seen me uh, after Drew McDonald hit that shot to be Green Bay, I can she only imagine. probably would have called the SWAT. How many people did you hug and tackle? Uh, well, it was, I went off on a dead sprint by myself and then my brothers came at me from the other way on the way back. Doing a Jimmy V looking for somebody to hug? Well, they kind of met me on the way. So there wasn't anyone to like randomly tackle. Um, and then there was kind of a mob formed around that. Yeah, okay. So it was, right. it was pretty contained at that point. Oh my. All right, Skinny, let's wrap it up. One more national topic here. It is conference tournament time for college basketball. Perhaps the most underrated week of the year. Buzzer beaters, day games, bubbles bursting. But my question is, are conference tournaments even worth it at this point, especially with Power Conference expanding their seasons to 20 games? I love the excitement of conference tournaments, and I'm like you. I like I like the fact that I can watch day basketball. and, and It's the best. A handful of games really, really matter. I mean, you, you've, you've got some games that, that the loser's done. I mean, it's, it's desperation time. But, man... It's just it's all it's felt like since all these conferences back in the back in when I grew up. So this will tell you back in the day. It's time for a little back in the day, Rick. Yep, cue back, the music. I know back in the day, uh, the only turn the only conferences that had tur- the only conference I believe that had a tournament was the ACC. Everybody else had their regular season champ, and that was it. 
Um, and then slowly but surely, the SEC finally brought their tournament back, and, and other conferences started to bring their tournaments back. And now here we are with everybody having their conference tournament. Even the, I think the Ivy's going to one, are they not? They're one of the last holdouts, I think. They've, yeah, they've been one of the they, last they holdouts. They haven't, but I, I, think, I think they might be I, going. I swear, I think yeah. they are. Not this year, but I think they're eventually going to a conference tournament. Anyway, but everybody's doing it now, right? Yeah. And it feels like it's just... I, who won the regular season in the ACC? Well, you know that, Virginia. I'm going to give you. I, I, I need to try to trip you up. I, oh, ask me the Big East because no one has a clue. Who won, the who won the Big East four years ago? Uh, Villanova. You think? You're probably right. No, I, know, I, I do guy. know because Villanova won but, for every year but, except for Xavier's but, but, one year. But you year. know, my, my point is it, it just feels like that regular season, no one cares what you did other than your overall one-loss record. The conferences don't matter, and yet they want it to matter because they're going to these 20 games. Now, some of that is because they're trying to, hey, if we do anything outside the league, we're going to build up our resume there. Then whatever we do to cannibalize ourselves, we're still going to get you know, maximum number of bids. Yep. I do understand that portion of it. And I love conference tournament basketball just because of what it is. But man, I wish the regular season meant something. I wish people cared more about the regular season and winning a regular season conference title. Cause it really is. That's the great, the great test to me. I, I, some of these uneven schedule leagues bother me. I love the big East for that reason. The fact that look, me too. home and home, baby, you, you get, we get you at your place. You get us at our place or however I need to phrase that. I love that. The round I, think Robin tr- is the best. I think it's a true test mm-hmm. of who's the best. Best team in that league. Period. End of story. I mean, if you look in the SEC, uh, John Calipari brought this up, and some of it is he's trying to trump some other SEC teams to get in the tournament. But you look at the uneven schedule of Florida. I believe Florida played Kentucky twice, Tennessee twice, LSU. I'm doing this all the time. LSU twice, and maybe Auburn twice. Holy cow! Holy, that's not right. Well, and that's the that's the whole interesting thing with this because. You know, we had the conversation on our college basketball podcast and on this podcast last week where we're talking about, you know, the bubble and, and how everyone's saying that it's it's bad and it's awful. And we we're I was making the argument that it's not that bad. Florida is a great example of a team I'm talking about. It's like everyone wants to talk about how many losses they have, but you just listen to the games you just rattled off that they had to play. Yeah, and I could be wrong on all that, but I know it's in close the to conference that. Slate. Right. Like, it's crazy. And I mean, you, you start looking at some of these teams and it's just like, well, I don't know what their record is supposed to be compared to the other teams that they're being compared to on the bubble who played, you know, the 70th toughest slate in the country this year. Meanwhile, Florida was like in the 20s in terms of their strength of schedule. So it's like that's just really hard to figure out, I think, for the uh, for the committee. But in terms of the actual like playing conference tournaments, I think. I think the regular season still matters a lot because that's really where you're doing, at least in the major conferences, that's where you're doing the bulk of your seeding work for the NCAA tournament. Like, yes, like maybe in the Big East where you had all these teams bunched up. So three through nine, well, really 10, but yeah, really three, 10. three through eight were still on the bubble, basically heading into sort of the last week or two here. And now a team like Butler's played their way off, yes, obviously, yes. but a couple of those teams are still have a fighting chance if they maybe make the finals of the Big East tournament. I think that's fair because what happened during the regular season was all these teams played the round robin. It was a fair balanced schedule. And then a bunch of them came out, 8 and 10, 9 and 9, 8 and 10. Like, they were all bunched up. So even playing the round robin, we didn't have a clear picture of who was, like, third, fourth, fifth best in the conference. But there were still probably some tournament teams. So I do think, in this case, it's nice to be able to send them out to a neutral court and say, here you go. You guys get one last chance. If you can get 
two more big wins, you might have a chance to play yourself in. So I think it does matter, especially for the power conferences. The only issue I really have is when you start talking about the low majors who you play all year, you're clearly the best team in your conference. Like, for instance, the Horizon League. Had NKU and, and Wright State played out this year, it's clearly the two best teams. Then one of them gets upset, and now you've got Green Bay, Representing the conference in the tournament because they got hot for two days. To me, that would Three suck. Days. Yeah, that would really suck. So, I do. I do like the fact that, and I know this. You, you hate the consolation prize of it. The NIT for a school like that is still, I think, a big deal. And it I do is. like the fact that the, they reward at least the regular season matters for at least that. They should. They should. But that's the only. I don't think the conference tournaments have like are irrelevant or shouldn't be there. But that is the only argument I see for taking them away. Is that for the low major teams, it really does suck. And and my only response to that is, if you're a low major school or a low major conference, choose choose that you're. Regular season winner gets yeah. gets the automatic bid, but, but I, the funny part is the whole the whole the, the whole championship week conversation. Those are my favorite ones, man. Because the best. I'm telling you that Lipscomb uh, Liberty game was fantastic. Yeah, they're great because games. every possession in the last four minutes, you realize one of these teams probably ain't gonna make it. Well, and that's probably the biggest issue we have with college basketball is that. The NCAA tournament is the best thing about college basketball. And it's, it's the worst thing. It's a perfect made-for-TV right. event. It's so much fun. Three even, weekends and you're done. Even from a basketball purist, someone who loves the game, really gets into it, I love the NCAA tournament. It is perfect. But it is decidedly the worst way to figure out who the best team is after a year where you play all these games yeah. and you just throw them out of a neutral court and say, screw it. Basketball is such a make-or-miss game. It's not as like Football, to me, more like you can dominate the line of scrimmage and one game you decide who the better team is basketball it's like if you just have a bad shooting night you're screwed well and that's where look i, I don't think everybody anybody will tell you that that the national champion is always the best team but no. they are the national champion they right. run the tournament and that's what you get rewarded for i got no problem with that part well of it. you've got the same issue with the conference tournaments then right right it's the same thing right. like right. It, you, you mentioned the small school tournaments like yeah but i like when those upset oh, I know. Those I, big games and i do too i love it but it's the worst. or just the life and death matter of those games right it makes it makes it so intense yeah and that's what makes it a great event it's perfect for tv I love watching it. It just does stink for those conferences and those teams because you fought all year and now you kind of get screwed at the end of it. It doesn't seem fair. And I get that. But unfortunately, college basketball is a great sport because of the way we do the tournament. Well, as we do this podcast, when we get done with this, guess what I'm going to do for the next two days, Thursday and Friday? I'll be watching conference tournaments from noon to midnight, brother. As soon as we roll out of here, we've got like 45 minutes until they tip off. Exactly right. (laughs) We'll have just enough time to get this uh, up online and start watching. There we go. All right. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back again next week. For Rick Brewing, I'm Richard Skinner. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.